We are finishing up today our sermon series. Uh, This is the fifth one that we've covered in our month of prayer in May. Uh, Thank you for those people who have been out to pray on the Wednesday nights around the community and other things that we've done as we pray. This is the final sermon uh, on this series uh, today. Jesus' final commandments to his disciples uh, before he ascends to heaven is to tell them to go and make disciples. Uh, and in Acts 1, chapter, Acts 1 verse 80, tells them to wait uh, for the Holy Spirit, for they shall be witnesses uh, in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It was clear from what Jesus said that his followers were to have an impact, uh, were to make a difference wherever they are placed, wherever they are planted. Uh, The letters that Paul writes to the different churches encourages that as he prays for people. Uh, There has been no change of plan for what Jesus set his church out to do. Uh, No pandemic has changed it, lockdown hasn't changed it, no circumstances or situation changes the responsibility of believers of the church uh, to go and tell the world the gospel message, to make an impact where they are planted, to make a difference where they are. Uh, There are lots of useful techniques and different methods, but we cannot abstain from telling the world the message that has changed our lives and that we believe will change their lives as well. Paul writes to uh, Romans, a church there in Rome, in the first chapter of Romans, and he says four verses with them. And he simply says, he simply says this, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. It says, uh, this is not the final prayer that Paul prays for his church, just our final prayer that we're looking at uh, today. And Paul writes a letter to the church. Um, I'm going to say the church in Rome because there were churches in Rome. It wasn't just one church. It was a, a, it was a, a few churches that all come under the banner of the Christian church. So that's who Paul is writing to. And the letter that Paul writes here is a little bit different because uh, the other New Testament letters that he wrote, because the, the, a lot of the other New Testament letters focus on the challenges and the problems and the encouragement that Paul wants to give them. But the letter to Romans is very much different because it focuses simply on God and his great plan of redemption. Uh, Paul had never been to Rome. Uh, he, he didn't find, found the Roman church. He didn't start it. It does make it different because most of Paul letter, Paul's letters went to churches that he'd founded. Uh, he did end up going to Rome, but he ended up going as a prisoner towards the end of his life. Uh, and so, uh, so, so it's significant this morning to understand this, that though the Roman church was not the result of Paul's labours, that didn't matter to Paul. 
He rejoiced at the work that was going on, that what was happening there in this church. He was glad to hear it, and it was doesn't matter who was responsible for it, the gospel was being proclaimed, people were getting saved, and lives were being changed. Uh, and so Rome, we have to remember, at this particular point in history, really was the centre of the known world. It was the main city uh, in the known world. And so what, what we led to believe is Christians would have travelled into Rome, shared the message, and then people would have got saved and they would have travelled out of Rome and businessmen may be travelling back to their home ports and towns and cities. That's the way that the gospel, uh, we believe, was spread uh, and so these verses here carry as well Paul's longing simply to travel to the church as well because he wants to go to them uh, to encourage them and help them there are three things that stand out here uh, from the one thing that we've said all the way through this sermon series is Paul's praying for others is the product of his passion for people uh, because people matter Paul wants to pray for them and so for us if we pick nothing else up from this series it's that people matter to us and we see the demonstration of that in us praying for them in asking God to do what he needs to do in their life to encourage them to help them and here we see three things the first thing is this is Paul wants them to know that he is praying for them it is an encouragement to us to know when people are praying for us not just maybe the yes I'll pray but actually people praying and, and actually seeking God on our behalf or lifting us up before God it is an encouragement in itself and Paul wants them to know that simply uh, that I'm praying for you he says uh, I've never met you I don't really know you but I'm praying for you, I'm lifting you before God. Uh, the second thing we see is this, he wants to give them a spiritual gift. That arriving and going to the church there, he wants to spiritually encourage them. He wants to lift them up to God, but he wants to impart some spiritual gift towards them. He wants them to, one of the things we've said through this is he wants to see them grow spiritually and maturely in their spirituality. And the third thing he wants to do is this, he wants to encourage them in their faith. Why? Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody needs to be encouraged. Uh, and so Paul just simply wants to encourage them in their faith. They get this letter uh, from the great apostle Paul, uh, and he simply wants to encourage them in their faith by his writing, but also he wants to encourage them in their faith by, by his presence as well, by actually going there. So part of his reason for wanting to come is simply that his mission in life is to carry this gospel of Jesus to all people groups, many of whom are represented in Rome. We have to remember here what sort of place Rome was. Uh, there was not a more sinful city full of wickedness, evil and iniquity in the known world. Everything foul grew in Rome. And so this is where there is a Christian church. This is where there is a church that has been planted. Uh, and, and so I believe this, that God delights in planting churches, building churches in the darkest places under the most adverse surroundings. There are always easier places to do church. 
but there have to be the right place to do church. And I believe that God delights, as I've said, in building churches that are at the gates of hell and establishing a gospel witness in the most difficult, darkest, demanding places. And this is where the church is here in Rome. And this is where God has placed the church to reach people. And you see, we, in a sense, are at the point now We've come out of the pandemic, we're 15 months ago, and part of the problem, if I was honest with you with this, is not our church, but we include our church, but lots of churches have just simply gone to sleep. And you see, what we're going to try and do over the next few weeks is bring us back as a church to the responsibility and the privilege and the vision and the opportunity of what God has called me and you to do by having a church here. Because we are called to make a difference. We are called to preach the gospel. We are called to see Jesus change the lives of people through the salvation and the hope that he gives them. And none of that has changed. And you see, I love what we have here as a church. I see there are lots of methods people can give you about church planting and church growth and how to do church, but really there was one technique that always works and it's this technique. Church works where God is working. Simple as that. Church works where God is working. Everything else we do is secondary. If God is not working, there is no point. It's pointless. The first and most important thing, the absolute essential, is to know that God is working. And if God is working, then church is working. You see, we have to understand here about the church that Paul is writing to in Rome, encouraging them and praying for them. This was not a church that was advertising everything they were doing on a Sunday. This was not a church that was out in the streets proclaiming we're all meeting here. It says this church was suffering severe persecution. So this church was having to meet underground or this church was having to meet secretly in people's houses. And even though they were doing that and they had all the obstacles and all the difficulties facing them, Paul writes to them and says, uh, the whole known world has heard of your faith. They've heard of your stand for Jesus. And that encourages me as we finish this series, as we continue praying, that there is nothing that stops the gospel of Jesus Christ going forward. There is absolutely nothing. Here, as Paul writes to this church here, he encourages them by saying, we've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. The world has heard about the stand, the witness that you are having for him. He was thankful for the good reputation of the church. Because of its location, the church had a special visibility. Uh, and simply the opportunity as people came into Rome and they heard the gospel message, they got saved and then traveled to all the different places over the Roman Empire, spread the gospel. Persecution is often one of the most effective ways of spreading the gospel. In the book of Acts, after they had stoned Stephen to death, the first martyr, it tells us that the church scattered out of Jerusalem. 
He didn't just scatter because it was afraid. He scattered because it was persecuted. But in being persecuted, he scattered to the towns and the cities and the villages that were all around. And when the Christians arrived at that place in their new town, their new village, the first thing they did was share the gospel, spread the gospel, plant a Christian church. Uh, and so persecution works. In China, it, it, whenever they discovered underground churches in China, it says what they did was this. It says they took the pastor out of the church and some of them were arrested. But some of them, they moved thousands of miles away, away from the church, so they wouldn't be in contact with the people that they had built the church with. But all the pastors did when they were arrested and moved to another part of China is to start another church. So in their persecution is that you could see what God was doing because he's almost saying to us coming through here, there's actually nothing that stops the spread of the gospel. There is nothing, persecution, obstacles that present opportunity, difficulties that come along, nothing stops the spread of the gospel. And so this is the reason for Paul's thankfulness here. You see, in other words, the Christians in Rome have become famous far and wide simply for believing in Jesus, for sharing their faith in Jesus. That's why Paul prays and is thankful for their faith. What a tremendous responsibility that we have. This is exactly Paul's mission in life, given to him by Christ himself, to see belief in Christ spread to all the nations of the world. So it's not surprising to hear him say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for what you are doing in this church. Thank you, God, that the gospel is being spread by the businessmen that are coming into Rome, are hearing testimonies of who this Jesus Christ is. Because there had to be something different. Rome was home to at least 3,000 different gods. But what was different about this man, Jesus Christ? Well, it was different enough to change people's lives after they got saved, to give them a hope as they went back to the towns and the villages and they shared. And this is being proclaimed throughout the known world. You see, as Paul says, for God is my witness, it's acknowledgement simply of this, that, that he really is praying for them. He really is saying, God, I'm lifting these people up to you. I'm encouraged by their faith, but Lord, would you, would you bless them even more? Would you help them to grow even more? Would you encourage and challenge and lead on the leadership of the different churches there? Would you bless the followers there? And he continually prays for them. He prays because he uses that phrase that we've used several times in this series, when he says, without ceasing, Without ceasing, he constantly prays. He constantly prays that God would encourage, that God would build up. And simply this, he submissively prays for what God wants, not what he wants. It's his desire to go to Rome, but it might not be his, uh, it might not be God's will for him to go to Rome. And so Paul talks about this service that he has. This is his service, a wonderful service, an act of worship. What we've done this morning is one act of worship as we've come to church and we worship, but it's not the only act of worship. There are many, many acts of worship. One of the acts of worship that Paul is mentioning here is simply this, the, the spreading of the gospel, the personal responsibility that he has to share his faith 
and he encourages the church here in Romans to do exactly the same. You see, we, we move on to this, that, that God's plan is for all who he has saved to become serving saints. He says to them, I'm not just going for social reasons. He says, I'm coming that I may impart some gift to you. I'm coming that I may give you something from God. We have no power in ourselves to give anybody anything. We're just the channel that God uses. We're just the one that God uses. But, but Paul wants them to understand the plan of God is this, that, that actually for all who he is saved, that we're not just filling seats, that we're not just getting comfortable or ticking religious boxes. Actually, he wants the people to become serving saints, that, that now they're saved. That, and in becoming serving saints, what we're doing, God has majestically saved each and every one of us. That salvation has led to a story, a testimony. This is how God has done this. That testimony, that story has to be shared. It has to be told to other people. It has to be told to the people that are looking for hope. It has to be told to those people who are in the grips of addiction. It has to be told to those people who are in despair, those people who are depressed, those people who are lost. It says that the message of God is a remedy for all of that. It's a solution for all of that. But who does God use? He uses me and you. And Paul's prayer is that, 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 that these people would be used by God. Because we must make sure that we don't just become sitting saints. That we just simply find a chair and make ourselves comfortable for the trip to heaven. That each and every one of us has a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus. You see, my job title might be pastor. But my calling is to tell people about Jesus. Your job title might be factory worker, but your calling is to tell people about Jesus. Your, your job title might be teacher, but your, your calling is to tell people about Jesus. Your, your, your job title might be you work in a shop or in a business or drive a lorry or, or work with kids or whatever it is that you do. That, that's your vocation, that's your job. But your calling is to tell people about Jesus. That's our responsibility. And there is a world that needs to hear the message that we have. And you see, if nothing else, I take what Paul says about the church here. He says they're simply famous for one thing, that they tell people about Jesus. Oh, that we would be famous or significant for that reason only. What? That we tell people about Jesus. The living hope, the church that is planted here in this community, above all else, whether it be the great worship or, or whether it be the brilliant kids' work or whether it be the wonderful caring people or, or maybe it'll be the amazing talented pastor. No, okay. <laughs> Any of those things are secondary and not important other than being a church that is known for telling people about Jesus. Yeah. And we've got to tell them. We've got to tell them. Because they're lost and need to be found. Because they're hopeless and they need hope. But because they're lost in the, the dirt and the, the, the cesspool of life. And yet God offers them a way out and is looking for somebody to tell them about that way out. And do you know who it falls to? Us, me and you. He says, we are here. 
And you see, it doesn't matter how insignificant we think we are. It doesn't matter how small we think we are. We are called to make a difference. I'm going to finish this morning a little bit differently with the video. And I saw this video probably about 10 or 11 years ago. Johnny Skelly, who usually does the sound desk, when he was in the youth, we did a thing called Developing Young Preachers. And we gave all the young people a chance to preach. I've only ever heard Johnny preach once and he showed this video. I never preached again. But when you see the video, you'll understand why. You can't beat it. But this video is just a demonstration and a challenge of what God has called each of us to do. And none of us are too small to make a difference. That each of us can have an impact where we are, with what we have, with the message that we've been given us. Thank you, Ben. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, you've got three minutes. And this man proceeded, he said, I just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives and I was walking down George Street, you know where George Street is in Sydney, and he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand and he said, excuse me sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously and all the way on British Airlines back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area where I'm living now and thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And 10 days later, a woman came to him for counseling and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last minute shopping down George Street. And a strange little white haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet and said, excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me and I sought out the pastor and he led me to Christ. Now this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice within a fortnight he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago. And an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor thinking he would sympathize with me and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. Well, eight months later, that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, 
Do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship, and I lived a reprobate life, and one of my colleagues whom I gave literal hell was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours, and I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day, as God gave me strength. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that. Not hearing of any results. That's 146,100 people. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Genor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? Nobody except a little group of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Genor. But I'll tell you, his name was famous in heaven. Story there, the illustration just proves that none of us are insignificant. And that God can use each and every one of us. And as I listened to that a few times over the week, I realised this. It says, if all we are ever known for is not how big a church we became, or not how great everything was that we did, but simply this, that we were a church that was known for helping people to find Jesus. If they could put that above the door of the church, that would be enough, wouldn't it? This is a place where we can help you find Jesus. The last song that the team are going to lead us in, in a second, it, it's a line in it. Uh, one of my favourite songs, it talks about the song of the redeemed. And the song of the redeemed is the words that we sing. But we've also got to share those words with the people that we know. That as passionately as we sing this, and as passionately as we worship God with this song, we have to apply the same passion to telling everybody that we know this is our song of redemption. This is why we are redeemed. This is our story. And this is how we can help you find Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, you have given each of us a tremendous opportunity and responsibility to reach the world for you. The Father God, it wouldn't be about how well known we would become, how famous we would become. The God, we would just want to be known for helping people to find your Son. Those that are lost would be found. Those that are without hope would find hope. Those who are in despair would find you. And God, we offer ourselves up as willing servants, for we have known what it is to be saved. We know what it is, Father, for you to save us, 
change us, redeem us, and give us life. And Father, that's a message that we want to share with our world. And we pray for that today, each and every person, as they go forward tomorrow, Father, to their situations, their vocations, their lives, Father, that you would use them, Lord, from this moment on to reach people for you, Lord. For nothing stops the furthering of your kingdom and the sharing of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.